This show may contain my tips for making money on Bitcoin. It won't. It also may contain explicit language, and it really might. It's Monday, December 23rd, 2019. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. It is the season, tis the season, they sometimes say, for giving. And Kim Jong-un, recently pictured on a white steed, has intimated that the U.S. is on his Christmas list. With an end-of-the-year deadline approaching, Pyongyang says it's up to the U.S. to decide what sort of Christmas gift it wants to receive. They say the North Korean regime is secretive and hard to read, but Kim Jong-un basically just blew the whole Secret Santa thing right then and there. We get it's you, Kim Jong-un. But still, what could it be? I'm very curious. Now, the Chinese economy and the contents of American Christmas stockings are both mostly made in China. Maybe that's a hint. I can't wait to come down the stairs on Christmas morning to see what Kim Jong-un could be hinting at. Apparently feeling used as a political prop, a North Korean official warned that America may expect, quote, a Christmas gift, interpreted to mean either a missile or even a nuclear test. Oh, under the mistletoe actual missiles. Damn. Tough way to find out you're on the naughty list. Well, they say the present is called the present because it's a gift. Though for Tulsi Gabbard, they say the present is a gift for Russia. So I don't know what to think. But there is someone who does know what to think. He has a fluffy mustache and a bone to pick with his former boss. Here is a quote for you. The idea that we are somehow exerting maximum pressure on North Korea is just unfortunately not true. That's not from a Democrat. That's from the president's former national security advisor, John Bolton, in an interview with Axios, throwing out nothing short of a complete rebuke of Trump's North North Korea policy. Yes, John Bolton has been talking to Axios and NPR, excoriating the U.S. policy as all show up and force mirth and not enough blow up and scorch earth. He told NPR this. It's been the pattern as we've watched it for over three decades now. Uh, The North Koreans are very happy to declare that they're going to give up their nuclear weapons program, particularly when it's in exchange for tangible economic benefits, but they never get around to doing it. And I think the inescapable conclusion is they're happy to sell that same bridge over and over again, but there's no serious chance they will ever voluntarily give it up. Yeah, this is the perfect analogy for a Trump administration project. You send out a press release about the bridge. You get the tabloids to cover the ribbon cutting ceremony on the bridge. When you open the bridge up, you also open up the Trump Bridgeview apartments on either side of the bridge. Don Jr. gets one. Eric gets another. Bolton, speaking to Axios, said, quote, If Kim Jong-un follows through on his threatened Christmas provocation, The White House should do something, quote, that would be very unusual for this administration. Admit they got it wrong on North Korea. Okay, we're taking diplomatic advice from a guy whose prescription rests on Donald Trump admitting he got something wrong. That'll work. And as satisfying as it is to buy what John Bolton is selling, what he's really selling behind the very attractive assertion that Trump totally screwed up North Korea is John Bolton's idea. He wants to totally blow up North Korea. So sometimes your uncomfortable truth teller needs to calm down a little bit when it comes to the action items after even a deserved critique. How about Mr. Bolton speaking up in the Senate trial? 
There is an area where words and words alone might be enough to avert an international catastrophe. Maybe it's the purest example of the power of words in your history as a diplomat and you're not using your words. This could be your Christmas or Kwanzaa or MLK Day or whenever you screw up enough courage day gift to all of us. On the show today, impeachment impasse and Mike's Christmas carols. But first... The Afghan papers were a huge Washington Post-led undertaking, which exposed the extent to which American civilian leaders never really had faith in the U.S. strategy in Afghanistan. It was published just a few weeks after President Trump intervened with executive pardons of three military members, Navy SEAL Eddie Gallagher, who was found guilty of posing with a dead detainee. First Lieutenant Clint Lawrence, Major Matt Goldstein. Lawrence was six years into a 19-year prison sentence for ordering his soldiers to fire on men on motorcycles during a patrol in Afghanistan. Goldstein allegedly told CIA interviewers that he killed an alleged Afghan bomb maker and conspired to destroy the body. Now, these are the kinds of topics that veterans discuss among themselves in ways the public rarely gets to hear, except they do get to hear it if they know what podcasts to listen to. I listen to Zero Blog 30, where hosts Kate and Chaps, two Marine veterans, talk openly and without pretense. They're funny, they're profane, and when they need to be, they're very frank. They're here now, Zero Blog 30, up next. So if you know me, and by now, come on, I hope you do, you know that I have this eclectic interest in podcast. I've been listening to a podcast lately called Zero Blog 30. It's from the Barstool Network. And I originally sought it out because I was quite keen on hearing how actual military personnel were talking about the case of Chief Gallagher. It seemed to be genuinely splitting the military, and I wanted to kind of go through the officially quoted sources and people who are involved in activist organizations who you know how they're going to come down. I wanted to either hear how enlisted personnel, just the grunt view on the ground of this. And I came across this podcast called Zero Blog 30, and it's excellent. It's uh, former military people talking to each other. From what I gather, it's really how the actual people would talk rather than talking in a way as if they know they were being quoted. Two of the hosts, the two main hosts of Zero Block 30 are here, Kate Mannion, who's a former Marine, and uh, the guy who calls himself Uncle Chaps, Matthew Cothran, a former staff sergeant in the Marines. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So how do you, it probably came about in a bit of serendipity, and they said, let's try this, let's talk about the things you guys have another serious XM show. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you had to to start with, okay, here's the mission statement. I, I assume this wasn't how it started. What would it be? What it would, would, there was yeah. a very okay. clear mission from the beginning. And what my mission was is I wanted it to be the modern day VFW where you could listen to it. Because a lot of people, whenever they get out of the military, they think I've lost that camaraderie. I miss being in a platoon room. I miss talking to my teammates about the things that are going on. So that's kind of what we designed the podcast to shape around is where you you're back in the platoon room. We're not the smartest people in the world. We're not the most <laughs> informed yeah, people in the right. world. And we just talk about the issues as they are. So maybe, and this fits in with the just the very notion of what the bar stool is supposed to be, the guys, used to be guys, now it's, I think, 18% female, but the guys in the VFW hall are talking to each other. And maybe if they get too political, they get shouted down. And maybe if they get on their high horse, they get right. shouted down. And also they could disagree with each other, right? right it's right. not one ideology per se. Right. Yeah. So we have, we have both 
both sides of the political spectrum represented on the podcast, and we try to kind of avoid very inherently political subjects. We talk about things that touch the military or even tangibly touch, touch the military, and that's really about it. We don't get into the day to day. Tangibly or tantrically? Because that would be interesting. A little bit of both. <laughs> Depends on the mood. Oh, well, yeah. When I mean, listening. I did have one where I said that if uh, President Trump removed us from Afghanistan, I'd give him an over the ha- pants HJ. Yeah. So we're waiting so. to see. We're waiting to see. Incentive or disincentive? Yeah. Yeah. What if it all comes down to now that? Now we're going to be there completion. forever. Thanks I'm, a lot. I'm a man of completed tasks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is your task. That is your purpose. Congratulations. Right. Yeah, there but we, go. we also, as much as it is like a kind of VFW hangout spot, we also invite non-military members. We want it to be something that if you don't have a single family member in the military, you don't know anything about it, you could still listen and enjoy and get the gist too. So it's kind of a very welcoming for anyone. And kind we've of stripped podcast. out a lot of the the military lingo, the way uh-huh. that we use an acronym. In I the beginning, was it more heavy on uh, that? Yeah. And <laughs> it was hard to because we just get so many emails. I just got tired of answering emails about What's what did this acronym? mean. Right. Yeah. So we just stripped that away and kind of make it civilian friendly. What were the hardest acronyms to uh, let go of? You know, uh, I don't, JJ did tie buckle. <laughs> yeah, the leadership I mean, ones. It, it was just, What's that mean? Justice, <laughs> judgment. Oh, man, we don't even remember anymore. It's the, the at- attributes you're supposed to keep in the military. And they're like, it's simple. It's just JJ did tie buckle. I'm like, well, that's like 17 things. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like. It's the military yeah. version of RGBIV. Yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the rainbow coalition of things that <laughs> right. if you don't do, you get punished. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah, And also, what's the indigo in that? Like the one that's like, really? We got seven colors and one's indigo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is the, in, in the did buckle, is there one? Oh. What's the B in buckle? Oh, man. Well, I guess I, I would say now the one, because I guess purple is the most underrated color. Uh-huh. So I would say probably courage if you've read the Afghanistan papers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just trying to do things on the sly and so, be tricky. So when a story like that comes out, do you want to go head first into yes. it? Ha- okay. Like if I'm looking at the topics of the day, kind of the things that are going on in the week, and one like that, that is just pervasive no matter what type of political ideology I think everybody can come together and say that the acts that were uncovered in the the Afghanistan papers are disgusting. Right. So to take it back to the VFW hall, there probably aren't too many guys in the hall saying, no, we were doing the right thing and they never lied to us. And, you know, all my friends who died there, it was all for the best cause possible. Right. Kate's initial reaction, I think, was very apt. Also, too, part of this VFW that Zero Blog 30, this kind of hangout spot, a lot of it lives on social media. Yeah. And right away, whenever something big happens, we start getting tagged immediately. We have at no free press, but at zero blog 30 on Instagram and Twitter. But people immediately start hitting us up on those saying, and we pose the question, you know, well, this huge news came out today. How do you guys feel about it? Mm -hmm. And the answers just start rolling in. And especially when it comes to the Afghanistan papers, he and our other uh, co-host cons, they served in Iraq together. Well, not together, but, you know, Um, and I was an Afghanistan veteran who both deployments, especially the first one outside the wire. And as soon as I read it, I had such a visceral reaction to it. My heart was pounding. He looked at me and he was like, oh, you're you're pumped up about this. Yeah. I'm like, I, I want to get on the mic right now. Yeah. Was it the heart pounding more that it surprised you or confirmed what you always knew? There was no surprise to it at all. And I think that was the most disappointing part was that it's something that we all knew, especially on a lower enlisted boots on the ground outside the wire kind of way. And immediately all the tweets and Instagram posts and, and messages I was getting were, Kate, I know how you feel because I tweeted out about it. My unit was here and saw X, Y, and Z. And as a as a PFC, one of the lowest ranks, I knew that this was a failure. I knew. And it's something that even at the lowest levels, 
everybody knew. Mm -hmm. And then to know that the leaders who were looking at the troops and giving these speeches to the troops, you're winning. Look at all these great things to know that behind the scenes, they knew that it was also a failure, but weren't confirming the things that we were reporting up and feeling and thinking. It was just such a, a feeling of disillusionment, disappointment, and I could ramble about it all day, but it's kind of like when you know when you first watched Sixth Sense and then the revealed that the kid can see dead people. Whoa! Wait, <laughs> you know? what? Yeah. I know. I got so, twenty minutes left. So, <laughs> so I know. it's like yeah. everybody else, ev- all the junior troops, everybody who is an O four and below, and uh, enlisted junior enlisted as well. We've all seen the movie, so we know that they could see dead people all the time. And the Afghanistan papers just confirmed that yes, you read the movie correctly. Right, right. But yeah. does it draw a bigger wedge, or is there? I think there's a bit of a wedge, but does it make the wedge even bigger between military and civilian? Because it was mostly the civilian leaders who were lying, and even the generals were carrying out the orders. But it was Rumsfeld who was lying, and Gates who was lying, and you know, people who wore a suit, not a uniform. Yeah, I mean, I think that generals have a responsibility to their troops. I think that more so because no matter what we believe politically, the Secretary of Defense is inherently a political def- position. It yeah. just is. I Even mean, when it's Mattis. Right, and Mattis, yeah. that was one of the biggest bullshit about Mattis is that he was saying that I don't want to get political. You, you're inherently in a political position because it's a political appointment. But whenever you're a general and you're actually wearing the uniform, you have a responsibility to your junior troops. Mm-hmm. And I think that those that are in the papers, failed that responsibility. And we talked about it this week. That was our episode uh, that came out this morning. And we we call it institutional cowardice Mm -hmm. that we think that they've displayed over the past two decades, really. Which generals do you blame? All. Petraeus? (laughs) Yes. I've heard the troops love Petraeus. I heard the troops love McMaster. Well, it's same as Mattis and all that stuff. There's this cult following and worship of them, kind of, this hero worship. But at the end of the day, a, a lot of these Pentagon papers, these interviews, a lot of the... People who were speaking freely said, well, to be honest with you, bad news isn't allowed at the top. So say PFC Schmuckatelli sees X, Y, and Z, these eight things that are happening that I had to send up a report. Every time I came back from outside the wire, the first thing I had to do was sit down and write up a report on mm-hmm. the things I saw, the atmospherics, the this, the that. So I send it up. Well, maybe that officer sees it and is like, yeah, this is true, but knows that that won't go over well at the next level. So maybe a couple things get adjusted. Right. And then maybe they see it and they're still like, eh, and a couple things get adjusted. And by the time it gets to the very top, it's a squeaky clean, very different version of what's actually happening on the ground. It's and a 180 think, degree version. Right. Yeah. And so I think they're smart enough to realize that clearly looking at the big picture that things weren't going well. And I think that they just blatantly ignored it and chose to look at the squeaky clean version instead of the reality that they had full access to. Well, chaps, I mean, did you ever have a, how many people were, how many troops were you in charge of at any um, one time? At any one time, like probably the biggest when I was a company gunner and I had about 220 Marines. Okay. So did you ever not lie to them, but not tell them everything they needed to know? Absolutely. Yes. Right. Like, right. I mean, that's just part of the game. Like yeah. any boss does that. Okay. So let's talk about Chief Gallagher, which you touched on and you talked about, and I felt, um, you were more pained than anything else by that whole story. So tell me what you thought and what you said. Yeah, I think that we, with the pardons, it's tough because that is one that, rightly or wrongly, it has become inherently political. Yes. And I don't think that it should have been political. I think we look at things on merit. And I think that all three of these cases that just went through either the pardon or the clemency, whatever, if you want to get wrapped around the technical legal terms, whatever, the pardons, essentially, I think that there's different elements of each one of them 
that is troubling. Like, yeah, in the in the very least, Lawrence, for example, Lawrence, his men turned him in. Yeah, that is huge. Like anyone in the military knows. For me, that the same guy that turned him in is the same rank as me. For me to go against my direct commanding officer and say he committed a war crime, what he did was murder. And they tried, and they took many steps along the way to try to prevent him and even like right to lie to him about um, if there were quote unquote hostiles or civilians outside the wire. Right. And his battalion commander before didn't put him in a leadership position before he actually went. Like it took another lieutenant getting killed for him to be placed in that position as a platoon commander. Those type of things are shocking to hear as an enlisted person, that those kind of decisions were made. Yeah. And I think with uh, Gallagher, I know that Trump, that was a reversal of they reinstated his rank and everything before he, I think he like just retired this week or last week. But again, that was a case, that whole case was so wacky if you followed the trial or anything like that. I mean, so from both sides, that the prosecution and the defense both messed up in a variety of, of ways. But again, people coming forward and saying, multiple people coming forward and saying, you know, ultimately the only thing that he got charged with was posing with the with an enemy corpse. Or yeah. Convicted thing. of, yeah. But there was so many other stories in there that were backed up by so many other people that... Like shoving a knife in the guy's throat to kill him. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. actually had less of the problem with Gallagher's getting re-promoted to chief than I did the other two. Because Gallagher actually went to trial. Yeah. He was actually acquitted by a jury of his peers. Right. And I think that if you look at that on its face, if you just took a picture with yourself with a dead enemy combatant, you're not getting degraded from chief to E6. That's just not going to happen. Right. So I think that that, in light of him being acquitted, probably was the right decision. Okay. I have have less problem with that one. It's the other two that I think are... One was convicted, yeah. like convicted by a jury of his peers for murder. Yeah. And a military tribunal means military people who right. Right. You can't make the argument of all the, and, and you've heard this, all these guys in their air conditioned apartments and their air conditioned rooms passing judgment on someone who was actually in a war zone. Everyone who passed literal judgment on him was in the war zone. And it's a jury of his same rank. Like there is, his same rank was represented there as well. And, <laughs> That one is just inexcusable. And then him going on and saying that I can't get a job at Target, like, well, no shit, dude. You killed somebody. Did you get did you get pushback from that? Did people and if so, what was their case? Yeah, we do get pushback because I think that it's it became political. Yeah. And so if you inherently if you criticize the decision of uh these pardons, you were criticizing Trump as well. Like they are all it's like you can't look at a policy without without going after the man. That's okay, what, so that's the motivation for the pushback, but how did they phrase it? Because they can't say, you don't know. They can't specifically point to you guys and say, you don't know what it's like. They and, do. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, it's, I think that sometimes criticism is nonsensical. Sure. Well, they'll say, well, you don't know. Like, I'll get like, oh, you're a pogue, you're a dog handler. Like, dude, I, like, I got shot. Like, I got awards for valor. Like, <laughs> I've done my shit too. Like, so that doesn't necessarily, they, they will come at you as like, you don't know, you're not a warrior. This is a warrior mindset. You don't know what it was like to be a SEAL, which is true. You don't know what it's like to be a Green Parade. That's true too. Right. Like, I don't know, but I do know what it's like to lead people in combat. Yeah. Like, I do. And you don't tell people to murder somebody who's innocent. And yeah. at the same time, there are lots of people with the warrior mindset. There are SEALs and Green Berets who do the right thing all the time. These who are doing his the underlings right thing who and- turned him in did the right thing. Right. And, and you are giving the wrong message. Do you think that that will have... Sometimes I wonder if the 
counterclaims are a little too grandiose, that this will degrade good order and discipline. I absolutely think it's way too grandiose. Yeah, it takes a lot more than that. We were talking about it on the way over here. 99% of the people in the military are good fucks. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not going to do that. Even if if you think as a young specialist, young Lance Corporal, maybe the president will pardon me if I kill this person. Right. People aren't doing that. They're just not going to do it because the majority of them are good people. Right. And even if they weren't, the chances that a president will pardon you for that are very, very, very small. Right. I don't, I really, I I agree with you. I don't think that anyone will be in a situation with a knife in their hand saying, well, if I plunge this in at this moment, I'll probably get a pardon in the future. I just don't think that's going (laughs) to happen. Yeah, I think overall, I I don't think it will have like some overarching major horrible negative effect amongst military members. But I think the thing that most of us are just frustrated with, and it's not just Trump, it's pretty much every president ever the troops become political pawns. And that's the annoying thing because, uh, I don't know, you're saying it pretty well in the car chaps on the way over. Like, we've been at this war for 18 years, but this is the stuff we're focused on. This is the stuff that everyone's going crazy over when instead we're, you know... I wish the news would focus as much as they did on the pardons case about the Afghanistan papers Mm -hmm. because I really think that that is... Uh, a small picture of what we're allowing by allowing the war in Afghanistan to go on. Like, sure, you have onesies and twosies that slip through the cracks and they become, they commit war crimes. Those cracks shouldn't be there because we should be at the place now where we removed all of our troops from Afghanistan. Yeah, you know what permits someone to commit a war crime? Being in war. Yeah. 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 Kate Mannion and Uncle Chaps are the hosts of Zero Blog 30 on the Barstool Podcast Network. Uh, a great insight and whatever that your version is, your site into how the military, former military, thinks about the military and the world. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. And now the spiel. The House passed articles of impeachment, but, says one Harvard professor, that might not even mean that Trump has been impeached. What really is an impeachment? Well, if you ask the common man on the street, he'll almost always be wrong, right? He'll say removing the president and ask an informed member of the media, and they'll probably wonder why you only asked a man on the street. What's that say about you? Mitch McConnell has done away with the niceties of pretending to be impartial, doing away with the niceties, that's the Mitch McConnell brand. The sides can't agree on the rules of the trial. The senators can't agree on if they actually need to mean it when they swear an oath to be fair jurors. And just when you thought the ball had gotten rolling a little bit, you see the credible threat of the ball being taken away and Mitch McConnell either going home or hiding it on a Ukrainian server. Maybe, given the season, All this news would sound nicer going down like this. It's beginning to look a lot like gridlock, which might make Trump irate. We've actually yet to begin, according to Noah Feldman, who says impeachment won't instart the articles reach the Senate. It's beginning to look a lot like stalemate as we enter the 2020 race. Armageddon and Bolton mute. Pelosi don't find it cute. If her case is so airtight, why does she need more witnesses to make her case? That was Mark Short, Mike Pence's chief of staff on Fox News. Sorry, you don't want to hear that information presented that way. You want to hear it this way. Mark Short quipping like a garbage fire. Dick Morris sucking on some toes. The entire republic being led by a liar. His next chief of staff could be retiring North Carolina Congressman Mark Meadows. 
everybody. Sorry, where was I? Oh, yes. It seems like the Christmas break will be the only thing to give us a break from this unbreakable tension between Mitch and Nancy. Oh, the unresolved tension. So compelling. I have to know how it ends. I like to take a break, not just with the holidays, but one way that I take a break, that I unwind uh, each Sunday, in fact, and most Thursdays, is to play fantasy football. Because it is indeed a fantasy of mine to acquire the athletic accomplishment of gentlemen that I don't know, and they don't know me, and they don't care about my existence. But I mind them for their numbers and curse them as if they were abstract concepts, not people, when they sustain injuries. For their behoblement denies me the statistical fruits of their labors. Like I say, it is pure fantasy. Yes, a dystopian fantasy like Black Mirror. But I do enjoy a good bout of fantasy football. And my season has just ended. And I have to say that my team, perfect phone call, won the championship. But here is the thing. You might be wondering, Mike, no, who were your receivers? What, what stratagem did you deploy? To deny your opponents that, no, you're not, you're not wondering that because conversations about fantasy football are the most boring conversations manageable. But if you heard that my team was called Perfect Phone Call, you might have said, wait a minute, Mike, you draft a fantasy football team. Football begins in early September and the Ukraine Michigas did not come out until mid to late September. How did you know to name your team that? Does your witchcraft extend beyond starting the Colts defense or are you truly prescient? No, my friends, I am not prescient. My fantasy football team names are always trying to encapsulate something presidential, something of the moment. This goes back to 2016 when my squad, the bloody wherevers, tried to capture the zeitgeist. But what I find and what I am finding is chronicled through the names of my fantasy football teams is that the zeitgeist keeps slipping thanks to, well, he, he who dominates the ether. The bloody wherevers gave way to the good-sized hands, very befitting a football team. But this year I started anew, and I started with Ram the Ramparts. Remember that from the 4th of July address? Then it became Nuke That Hurricane. Remember that one? I briefly changed it to I'll Buy Greenland, and finally I landed on Perfect Phone Call. And, you know, it's just too much. Years ago, I had a fantasy football team named Such As U.S. Americans. Remember when Miss South Carolina said that? I stuck with that name for like three or four seasons. People love that name. They got that name. They remembered the reference. It made them laugh. We didn't need to change with the times every 14 seconds. But now every two freaking weeks, I could have gone with Windmill Cancer or 15 Flushes or Girl Dog Conan. It's just so ever-changing, ever-mutable. The ground beneath me, never solid. I could take a receiving core that goes down to injury all at once in the semifinals. I mean, you're always going to find some Tampa Bay Buccaneer wideout on the waiver wire. Am I right, fantasy football geeks? But these presidential memes and mockeries and blurtations, it's so much. It's too much. It is a wild, wild ride. I guess that is why this holiday season, we can all agree that... A legislative branch that's stuck in their corners and stuck in their ways and dedicated to maximum opposition and obstruction at every turn. Well, in a way, what that represents is solidity and stasis. Perhaps that is the greatest Christmas gift of all. And so I'm offering these simple words to senators in their first term or their sixth Be your majority by one vote or two-thirds. 
Happy Hanukkah. Swift impeachment. Some semblance of fairness in your preordained show trial. But most of all, Merry Christmas, you dicks. Goodbye, boys and girls. Merry Christmas to all and to all a dumb fight. And that's it for today's show. Daniel Schrader produces the gist, and while not a leatherneck or a devil dog, he does have this one corduroy shirt with a leather collar and has been known to enjoy a hostess treat from time to time. So semper fidelis, fellas. Christina DeJosa would be expecting Kim Jong-un to give her a gift of coal in her stocking, but that stocking full of coal would represent 8% of all North Korea's energy exports last quarter. The gist. Hearing John Bolton tell us this is the time to attack North Korea is much less comforting than hearing Michael Bolton sing And this is the time When the cold winds blow When the snow falls from heaven On the dreamers below And this is the time When I need to know Great pipes, but no mustache. Oomperu deperu deperu, and thanks for listening.